chopped down a tree. Yes? Raise your hand. You chopped down a tree. Yeah. That's good stuff, isn't it? You get out there and you think it's going to be one of those fun days. You get the kids out there and you get the ax and you start chopping on the tree. Your kids are going to think, you know, hey, I get to beat something. I get to hit something. I'm not getting in trouble. It's a great day. Then you start worrying about hands coming off, you know, and things like that. And so you're hitting the tree and what, which, what you thought would take only a few minutes, it ends up taking, you know, several hours. And by the end of the day, you finally get the tree down. Now, it's pretty exciting to watch a large tree, a large tree fall. One that's taken not 10 years, but 30, 40, 50, 60 years to grow. And then truly in just a matter of some hours, you're able to chop the tree and the tree begins to fall. Now, if you've ever chopped down a tree, you know that the next spring, what's gonna typically happen is this. There are gonna be sprouts that start coming up. Have you ever noticed that? Because the root's still there and what's going on under the ground? Is the tree gone? The top part's gone, but the roots are where? Still there. They're in the ground, and so the tree begins to grow again. Here in Texas, we have what's called the live oak tree. We're very proud of our oak trees because they are they strength, endurability, power. They can withstand droughts like we just had. We, they can withstand the great Texas winds and tornadoes, can't they? They're strong. They have great ability to withstand. Now, the reason they can do that is because what you see above the ground is duplicated under the ground. Isn't that amazing? The tree system itself, as big as what you see above the ground will end up being under the ground. That's what gives the oak tree its power and its strength. Now, I grew up in West Texas. We didn't have oak trees. We had what are called mesquite trees. You ever seen those? Okay, they're not pretty, but they make great pit barbecue. Oh, Love mesquite barbecue. That's good stuff. Now, one of the interesting things about mesquite trees, out in West Texas, there's not a whole lot of uh, rain. There's not a whole lot of really anything that happens. You know, when you get the rain, it's, it's, it's a downpour and then it's done and it's over and then you'll wait months before it comes back. But why the mesquite tree can live so long is because its root system is a little different. It's not as big and as broad as an oak tree, but it has what you would consider a taproot. That taproot will actually be two to three, four times longer than the tree is above, and it goes straight down so that it can find the water. So here's what we're talking about today. Your faith, my faith. How strong is it? Is it rooted in yourself, as some of these guys were saying? Your spirituality was based on them, what they think, how they maybe dive into themselves deeper and when they be kind, find the purpose of life. Is your faith rooted in yourself or is your faith rooted in something else? Over the past few weeks, we've been talking through eight things that God uses to grow your faith. And I hope it's been a challenge and I hope it's, it's stretched you. We've walked through a lot of different things such as family, how God uses your family, how that God uses friendships, how that God uses legacy, to actually leave an intentional legacy, how that God uses when you get on purpose to leave a legacy for your kids, what God's gonna do there. We talked about your faith and how that God has you on a journey. And this journey is not just somewhere, but it's rooted in Christ and what God wants to do with that over and over again. So if you've missed any of them, I'm not gonna repeat the messages. That'd be way too long and nobody wants to stay that long, right? You don't want me to be one of those uh, Moses and Pharaoh preachers. The Pharaoh preachers, guy keeps saying, let my people go. 
And it doesn't ever do it. So the service keeps going longer and longer. So we're not going to be that. So if you have not caught any of the messages, go online to theoaksechurch.com and you'll actually find a, a, a place there where you can get the podcast. Uh, you can put it on your iTunes and you can be listening and, and following up with that. If you have your Bibles, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going today. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here's what we have. If you remember, this is Paul's last letter. Okay, this is the last one that we have written by him. And he is in a unique situation. He's at the end of his life, not just at the end of his life because he's old, but he's at the end of his life because he's been preaching God's word. And because he's been preaching God's word, he's now been put on trial. He's been in Rome now. He's gone from Jerusalem to Rome and he's on trial waiting to come before the great emperor. And his trial has already begun. His sentence has already been actually established and he's more than likely gonna die. Paul knows that. He even says that in 2 Timothy. My time of death is at hand. He says that in chapter two. And he says, I've already fought my fight. I've, I've run the race. I've done what God's called me to do. And so what you have in 2 Timothy is this, is that Paul is actually writing to this young man that he's seen grown up. He's seen him from the little baby. He actually knew him before he was born. He says, I saw your faith before it even started with your grandmother Lois and your mother. I've already seen what God has done in your life and through your life and how that God has raised you up. Timothy, I've watched you go through adolescence. Timothy, I've watched you. And matter of fact, Timothy, I even consider you my son in the faith. So there's a, a deep endearment between Paul and Timothy. We don't know where Timothy's dad has been. Timothy's dad is never announced and never mentioned in scripture. But what you have is you have this missionary, this pastor who's come alongside this young man and says, I want to work with you. I want to spend time with you. He mentored him. Timothy is his protege. Timothy has been pastoring now for a while. And Paul is leaving this earth and he knows he's about to die. And he says, Timothy, I want to leave you with some things that are important. And I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you. This is going to be something that's important extremely important in your life. So Timothy, pay attention. This is something I want you to remember for the rest of your life. If you have your Bibles, please stand now. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16 and 17. The word of God says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I am asking now that you would move. I pray that your spirit would have freedom to move in and amongst us. God, I pray that you would convict where you need to convict. I pray that your spirit would have freedom to encourage where we need encouragement. God, where we need to be challenged, I pray that you challenge us. God, I've done the hard work of preparing. I've arranged this altar. I've arranged the wood. I've arranged what I can do. So God, we're asking for your spirit to fall and the fire to fall from heaven. God, I pray that the worship that we have just entered into through the songs, God, I pray that it has been a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. And now... We want to hear from you so that we walk out of here a different people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. So here we are. We start off 
This passage is very familiar to most of us. It says all scripture is God-breathed. Breathed out by God. Now let's stop and talk just a minute because when we talk about this Bible, is this just a good book? Is it just a book about people? Is it a good history book? Or is there something unique or is there something different about it? The Bible says it's rooted somewhere differently. It's not just rooted in human thoughts or human minds. It's not just coming from somebody's philosophy. The Bible actually starts somewhere completely different than any other works that you've ever seen before. It says that all scripture, let's make sure we understand what all means. You go to the Greek, all means all. That's pretty good. It doesn't, there's no, there's no contradiction there. It means everything. Are you following this? So all means what? All. All means what? Now here's why I want you to catch this. We like to come to the Bible as if we like Jesus, who's a great teacher, but we don't really know if we like the miracles because we're Baptists. Hello? Okay, we also come to the Bible and we say, you know what? I really like the part where it says that we're supposed to, you know, the 10 commandments, I like that, that's really good. But when it actually says that lying is as witchcraft, I don't really like that part, right? Or when it says gossip, or, and we put it in. And so here's what we do. We like to take the parts of the scriptures that we like and then just ignore the other parts as if it doesn't happen, right? Here's what it's saying. All scripture... All means what? Man, you guys are smart. We're on top of it today. All means all. Scripture. So here's what it does. What it means is this. You can't pick and choose. And Paul is even hitting this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He actually says, there are some people who like to talk about genealogies, and that's what they want to spend their time doing. They want to talk about genealogies. They want to talk about all this stuff. And And Paul's saying, Timothy, stay away from just taking one part of Scripture and not looking at all. Because all scripture is God-breathed. It's important. Now, there are some who like to argue and say, Paul, what he's really referring to when he says all scripture, he's just referring to the Old Testament because that's all Timothy had at this time. Then there are others who say, when it says all scripture, Paul's really talking about just the part that's maybe includes the gospels. It doesn't include anything else. There's some that will say, well, Paul, since this is his last letter, then it has to include all of Paul's previous letters, right? And then that's about as far as it goes. And then there's another group of people who say, when it says all, it includes all the scriptures, meaning from Genesis to Revelation. And let me just be, here's where I stand. When I say, when it says all scripture, because this is considered the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, I consider it to mean Genesis to Revelation, all scripture is inspired by God. And the church said, it's all. So it says all scripture is God breathed. Help me out. When, was there ever another time in the Bible when God breathed into something? Do you remember? When was that? Genesis, right? Creation. God takes dirt. And he, he forms a dude. And then after he forms him, he breathes into him and he becomes a man. God's breath, when it comes upon something, it takes something ordinary like dirt and mud and it creates a living thing. Are you following this? 
because this is extremely important. So there's something unique and something very different. When the Bible says all scripture is God breathed, that this is not just an ordinary book. This is something so much more because God has actually breathed on it. There is something different. So this Bible is something more than just written words. It's live and it's active. And the Bible actually says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. What does that mean? If you've ever seen a sword, there's some swords at one point in time that would just have one edge, like a machete. You would just, you would chop. But a two-edged sword, it could cut one way and it could also cut coming back the other way, both sides. And the Bible says, this is your offense. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Here's why. Because it cuts through the bone, it goes through the muscle, through the ligaments, and you ready for this? It pierces even to the heart, to the discerning of your thoughts, your motives, your intentions. The word of God is active and alive, and it is God-breathed. It has come from, and it originates out of the mind of God. So this book, let me just make it very clear. This book is not human philosophy. This book is not just the opinions of other people. This book originates in God himself. Let me help you understand this a little bit more. This book, from Genesis to Revelation, it took over 40, it took 40 men, depending on how you include Hebrews who wrote that. 40 people, 40 people writing over a period of time of 1500 years. Now that's mind blowing in itself, right? So here's what's interesting. This book, you don't see conflict and friction and fighting. Now that alone is a miracle. If you can get 40 people to agree on anything, that's a miracle, right? But here's what it's amazing. These 40 people They've written in times in which over 1,500 years, they didn't even know that the other person was writing sometimes. They didn't even know what was going on at the other parts of the world. 1,500 years, they're not disagreeing. They're actually in agreement. And when you read it from Genesis to Revelations, what you find is this. You find a book that seems to be written by one perspective, God's. That's amazing. 1,500 years. Well, Heath, what about, you know, there's, there's, some, there's some places in there where it seems like you have to kind of work a little bit. It seems like there might be a little contradiction. There are places, but it's not places in which it's going to destroy your faith or mine. And we can walk through those controversies very quickly if you're interested. Because they line out very quickly. Well, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying that this is not like any other book. You know, wasn't Shakespeare, in, he was inspired, wasn't he? What about Dante or Plato or Aristotle? Those guys were inspired. I go to the Cowboys game and I'm, I'm in, no, I'm not inspired, Never mind. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> but you might be inspired by a sports team. I don't know who it is, but it's not the same inspiration. Let's be very clear. We're talking about something very unique in which God came upon and breathed. Now, let me show you how it works. Second Peter. Let me show you this. We're going to put it up on screen. And I want to read this to you because Second Peter actually helps us understand how that God breathed and how that God worked. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Did you see this? It, it didn't come just because somebody was smart enough to write a book. It didn't come just because somebody had some moment where they were like, ah, I'm inspired and they're just writing. It came because it's outside of the person's mind. Watch. 
for they were, they spoke, these men of God, they spoke as they were carried along by who? The Holy Spirit did this. The Holy Spirit came upon them. And Paul wrote many other letters. Matter of fact, we even know that 1 Corinthians was the first letter to the church of Corinth, but there was actually a second and third Corinthians. And what you have in your Bible as second Corinthians really is the fourth letter to the Corinthian church. There were other letters by Paul, but not all of them were considered inspired or God breathed because these men understood when the spirit of God came upon them, they were writing something outside of themselves. Yes, God used their intellect. Yes, God used these men in their personalities and in what they understood. 40 men, you see Elijah, you see uh, Moses, you see Paul, Daniel. You see all these men that God used fishermen. Isn't that amazing? God used fishermen. God used tax collectors. God used businessmen. God used lawyers. He can. He can. If God can use lawyers, he can use anybody. Doctors. God, God used all kinds of people, prophets, priests, peasants, kings, philosophers. God used all different types of men, used their personalities. But when he came upon them and inspired them, he carried them through the, by the power of the Holy Spirit so that they write, so that when you come to this word, you understand that this book is something more than just to human thoughts. This book is actually from God and originated in God. All scripture is given by God. Isn't that amazing? Just that one simple thought. So now it actually has power. Now it actually has something to do something different in our lives. Some of you are going, you know what, Heath? I'm not really for sure that book has power. I don't know if it's any different. You ready? I double dog. Now, when you double dog dare somebody, now when I grew up, Somebody could dare you, and that's no big deal. But when somebody double dog dares you, you have to put your boots on, button up your shirt, and man, you have to go to work, all right? Because nobody's gonna show you up on a double dog dare. You understand what I'm saying? Shake your head, yes. Have you ever had a double dog dare? Okay, double dog dares, you have to do this, all right? So if you're sitting back and saying, I don't know if this book has power, here's my double dog dare you. I challenge you. I challenge you to one month, one month of reading Luke. Spend two chapters, two chapters, three chapters a day. You read it for one month, every day, Luke. And then you come back to me at the end of the month and you tell me, I read it and I still don't think there's anything different about it. Fair? Double dog dare you. <laughs> Try it and see if this book is not alive and it doesn't start doing something in your life. Now, here you go, you ready? So Paul now lays it out. And he says, the Bible's something different and it's supernatural and it's given to us not by men, but by God. So P Paul now says, Timothy, I want to share with you and I want you to know this book has a blessing. There's a reason I want you to do this. Now, as a parent, my younger kids, if I'd say something and they ask why, you know what I tell them? Dad said so. That's just how it works. Now that my daughters, I got a couple daughters getting a little older, you know, the 11 year old and nine year old, do you know what they have to do? When they, they need to know why. They can still, yes, sir, and they'll, they'll be okay with, yes, dad said so, but they're not really motivated to do it. Are you following me? They're not really motivated because they don't understand the reasons. So when I explain, this is what dad says, and here's why dad says this, 
Now their heart motivation changes and now they want to do it because they understand the reason. Are you following me? So Paul says, this is important, Timothy. And then he stops. He doesn't stop there and say, just read your Bible. He doesn't say that. He says, you're going to receive benefits, blessings. It's going to be profitable for you. So let me give you the reasons that I want you to be in God's word. Here's what's going to happen. When you get into God's word, it says it's going to be profitable for what? Teaching. You see the next phrase? Just so you know, this is not coming out of my mind. This is coming out of scripture. I think it's very important that you understand. We're coming back to the scripture over again. It says teaching. What is right? What is teaching? What is right? You need to know. I need to know what is right. If you have a King James Bible, it actually says for doctrine. You see that word? Doctrine. Let me help some of you. If you ever go to a church or if you ever hear a pastor or if you ever hear a Sunday school teacher, small group leader or whatever, you ever hear them say, we don't teach doctrine, we just love God. You ever heard that? Let me help you out. You can just chalk it up that they don't understand what they're talking about. You could say they're stupid, but we don't wanna be offensive. So I didn't say that. You can just simply say, they don't know what they're talking about. Why? Because doctrine is teaching. So if they're getting up and teaching anything, what are they teaching? They're teaching doctrine. Does that help? So they're teaching something about God's word. So here's what he says. Timothy, the word of God is profitable. It gives you teaching. and It's going to show you what is right. It's going to show you there is truth and you can actually depend on it. You don't have to go searching everywhere else to find truth because the word of God actually is truth. What is right? You actually find in scriptures, this is how you're supposed to live. This is how you're not supposed to live. This is how you're supposed to love your wife. This is how you're supposed to conduct business. This is what you're supposed to do about debt. Hello. It walks you through all different things and says, this is what is right. And this is how you're to live. I'm so thankful I have a God who actually cares enough to not only just say, hey, I'm gonna create you, but he says, hey, this is how life works. And life works well when you actually don't live together until you're married. Life works the best when you're not having sex outside of marriage. You don't have the guilt. You don't have the frustration. You don't have the, "Uh uh-oh, we're pregnant. You see, as a married couple, when we got pregnant, I wasn't saying, "Uh uh-oh. You know what I was doing? Yippee, I'm a dad. And I was calling mom and dad. And yes, this is awesome. When my brother, they got pregnant outside of marriage. You know what happened in there? It was terrible. Man, worlds came crashing down. People were crying. People were bawling. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Should we get married? It was a nightmare. So let me ask you this. If you think that doing life the way you're doing it outside of the Bible is working, just look for a moment and tell me how easy it's going for you. Because when you actually align yourself with the scripture and you start doing what's right, according to what this Bible says, life begins to work out in a whole different way. It's amazing. So what he says, he said, here's the reason. I'm gonna teach you. The Bible is profitable for teaching. And then he says this word, reproof. (laughs) We would like to skip this one. This would be one that we would like to not have in the Bible, right? I don't like to be reproved. My kids don't like to be reproved. I don't know anybody who wants to be reproved. What's reproved? To actually say, this is not right. This is not right. You see, the Bible tells us this is right, this is wrong. And when it says reproof, the Bible is actually helping us understand this is not how you should be living. 
Here's what we like to do. You and I, I'm the same way because we're human. We like to do this. We like to compare ourselves to people who are not as smart as us. And we like to look across the room and say, you know what, I'm doing okay. Man, I'm not making near as many dumb decisions as him. I'm way smarter than her. You know, I'm doing okay. But here's what happens. When you get into the word of God, James tells us what? It's like a mirror is held up. And instead of looking at other people and comparing ourselves, because we always compare ourselves to somebody who's not as good as us. But now when we get into God's word, the mirror comes up and who do we have to look at? Yeah, that ugly mug that you were born with. You now have to look at yourself. And what happens is this. When you're in the word of God, now it actually says, oh, wow, Heath, I've been, I've been holding bitterness. I've been holding anger. And the word of God begins to sharpen and cut and start saying, Heath, you need to do something different. You've been there? When you're in the word of God, the word of God comes alive. And it's as if, it's as if the word of God <laughs> knows exactly where to hit. It's as if the word of God, I don't know how it happens, but you can read a passage for a hundred times and then one time you read it and all of a sudden it comes alive and you're going, oh my goodness, I've never seen that. And now the Holy Spirit is working in your heart because why? The word of God is alive and it's holding up the mirror and it's saying, you need to get this right. You need to take care of this. And now you actually start dealing with yourself instead of dealing with everybody else. It's a beautiful thing because now you actually start living authentically instead of living with a fake facade that you're okay in religion. That's a big change, isn't it? It's profitable for doctrine, for what? For teaching, for reproof. What's the next one? Correction. Correction. This is now how to get right. How do you actually get right? Did you know that the Bible actually doesn't just say you're wrong and you're right, and it doesn't just leave you hanging with guilt? The Bible actually explains to you how you can get right with God. That you're not left alone, that the Bible actually says that God sent his son to die on a cross, and on that cross, your sins and mine were what? Nailed to the cross. They were paid for. And then you come to a passage like 1 John 1, 9, and it says, if we confess our sins, he's what? Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. It doesn't say that God's gonna, it says it doesn't say, if you confess your sins, God's gonna send a lightning bolt and zap you. It doesn't say that. It says, he's faithful. Isn't that amazing? That God doesn't say, I don't like you anymore, but God says, I'm faithful and I will forgive you. So the beautiful thought is this. There are some in here, you haven't been in God's word and you haven't actually allowed it to convict you. You haven't been in church for a while and you haven't allowed the word of God to convict you and move. You've been running. There are some of you who actually have been in church for a long time, but yet you are not allowing the word of God to convict and reprove. Do you realize that the Christian life, do you realize the Christian life is about repentance and sanctification? constantly repenting. God, I'm sorry. You've shown me something in my life that I need to get right. I'm going to get it right. And then sanctification is now I'm going to get right and I'm going to actually start living right. And sanctification is this. You ready? It's me becoming more like Christ and being molded and shaped. That's sanctification. That's our life and that's how it should be going and how we should be constantly going after it. 
And then it says how to what? For training in righteousness. Now, how many of you like sports? Yes? You like sports? You, you really enjoy sports? Okay, here we go. This word here Paul uses for training is actually a sports word. Now, it's for the constant training. If you're in sports, there is a season for basketball, there's a season for football, there's a season for baseball, and then there's a off season, right? And in the off season, if you're a true athlete, do you get to sit around and eat bonbons? Huh? No, that's, that's not what you get to do. You don't get to sit around and you know drink beer and just and get fat and lazy. If you want to be an athlete who's going to grow and mature and actually get better, what you do in the off season is this: you actually build more muscle, you strengthen, you dissect and understand why you didn't do as well as you wanted to. You study film, you look at it, and then you start training and you start developing new muscles, better muscles. You start building up your endurance. Why? Because you're training to be able to perform better. And the word of God does this. It builds you up and it trains you so that when life comes at you and your world starts falling apart, when you have been trained and you've been trained by the word of God and you've been memorizing and you've been going back to scripture, when your world falls apart, and it will, when your world falls apart, your faith doesn't. Why? Because you have been built up and you have been trained. Let me read you some of the words. I love these words here for training. For training, it actually talks about a, a formal working over and over again. It's a process of being conformed. It's actually the repetition. Training as a discipline as an act of repetition over and over again. If you've ever been around coaches, they like to say practice makes what? It also makes permanent. So if you practice the wrong thing, the wrong thing becomes permanent. But when you start practicing the right thing, now the coach is saying, I want to build you up and I want you to get in repetition so you don't have to think about the details. You don't have to think about the fine-tuned things. All you have to do is go out there and you have to swing and hit the ball. All you're doing is watching the ball because you have so, you've got your muscles in memory, right? Training, how to stay right. Now, here's the last part. He now gives you a blessing. He now gives you a blessing. He says that the man of God, the woman of God will be what? Perfect, competent, complete, thoroughly furnished for every good work. It's another training word. Listen to these words. That you'll be lacking nothing. That you'll be fully adequate, sufficient, capable, competent, qualified, proficient to do all that God has called you to do. Here's, I'm gonna quote real quick. It'll mean that you're fit or in shape, perfectly conditioned. Isn't that amazing? perfectly conditioned. When you have been trained properly, you're not tired at the end of the game. Why? Because your muscles are used to going at full speed. Your muscles and your endurance has been built up. And here's what the Bible's saying. And Paul's saying, listen, God has created you, Timothy. God has created you to do a job. And he wants you to be able to complete it. And he has given you every tool and every resource and every ability. And all you have to do is when you stay in God's word, it's gonna equip you so that you can actually accomplish what God's called you to do. So that you can do it. Some of you have been sitting back and going, wait a minute. 
It doesn't seem like God's actually working in my life. God's not working through my life. It doesn't feel like I'm even, I even have the skills necessary to do what God's called, you, called me to do. If God's called you, he'll equip you. And the way he equips you is through his word. So you're wondering why you're spiritually anemic and you're spiritually dead. It's because you're starving yourself and you haven't been in the word of God. Can I just challenge you? You wanna see your health begin to grow, your spiritual health? You've gotta get into the word of God. If you worked out last week, one time, and you think you're spiritually healthy, or you, you think you're physically healthy, you missed it, right? You can't even work out five times last week and think, I can take off this week. If you're gonna be physically healthy, what do you have to do? Constant, over and over again, it's a training. So why we have so many spiritually weak Christians is because we thought we came to church last week and we thought we were okay. We thought, I read the scripture once. I studied it once. My dear friends, my brothers, my sisters, can I challenge you? I want your faith to grow. And the only way your faith will grow is when you get into God's word on a consistent basis. And in six months, here's what you'll be able to say. My faith is coming alive. If you get on a program right now for your physical health to lose weight, you're not gonna lose 20 pounds in the first month. That's biggest loser stuff. That doesn't happen in real life, right? But for you and for me, if you work out physically for the next six months, you'll be healthy. If I work out spiritually each week, during the week, do you know what will happen to my faith? I'll become alive. I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask every head bowed, every eye closed real quick. Father, right now, I know there's people in this room who need to get into your word. God, I pray that you'd help us to. I pray that you'd help us to know how to. And God, I pray that you'd help us to hear it more. Help us then to have the courage to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm gonna ask the men to help us out. They're gonna pass out these little cards. These cards are something that we're doing as a spiritual survey of where we're at, how we're doing as a church. I'm gonna ask every person to fill it out. And as you fill it out, here's what's gonna happen. It gives you a chance to be able to say, this is how I'm doing, how I'm not doing. One of the questions asked, how many times have you read the Bible or you study the Bible a week? There's a good chance that it's not very high and it hasn't been very high. One of the things that I would encourage you to do, maybe for some of you, reading's not your strong suit. Maybe you're not able, you, that just, you, you hate it, it doesn't work well for you, you're not a reader. Did you know that for centuries, the Bible was passed on through oral tradition? We are now living in a time and an age in which you can buy the Bible where somebody reads it to you through CD. Matter of fact, you can actually put the Bible on your phone. On my phone, I have an iPhone that I have an app. It's called Version. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Version. you go in, it's a free app and has all the different translations for you. One of the great things about this is that I can actually click it and it will, on there, it allows me to be able to listen to the word of God on my phone as I'm working out or as I'm driving or as I'm doing other things. And I can have the word of God constantly going through challenge you. Do something different with your life this week. Get into God's word. Let's root our lives in God's word. As you're finishing and the musicians are getting ready, I'm going to finish off with one last thing. I'm going to read you a passage. It's Psalm chapter one, 
verse one through three, says this, blessed is the man or the woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, sits in the seat of the scoffer, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Do you hear that? His delight, you see that? You, you desire, you crave it. His delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates, he thinks on, spends time thinking about the word of God. He will be like what? A tree that's planted by streams of water. Trees that are planted by the streams of water, they're healthy, they're thriving. They're growing to their full potential because they have every nutrient and everything they need. It says their wheat, the leaf will not wither. They will have fruit in its season. And then look at this. It says, and all that he does shall prosper. I want you to prosper and I want you to do well. I want this church to do well. And the only way we will find ourselves doing well is when we delight in the word of God and we sprout our lives in the very fabric of this book and it becomes something that we delight in. So go forth and prosper, my friends.